This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are, how deep are we in top 30 prospect lists? I was going to say knee deep, but I think it's it's deeper than that now, right? I feel like we're climbing out of it. I feel like we're, we're we, we, I, I'll go with knee deep. I, I like knee deep. I feel like we were up to our necks and now we're merely knee deep as we're climbing out of the pool. So I think it's depending on how you look at that question, right? Jim is looking at it as how much work do we have left for them? And I, and Jason, I took it to mean, how 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 much is out there already? That's the and way so, I was looking at it. Jim, so I think we're beyond. Out. Twenty-two of them are out. Well, that's what I'm saying. So that means there's there are more out. There's, there's more in the pool, which means that's that's at least I don't know, navel deep. Jim's a, a water is rescinding. He's a he's a glass half empty kind of guy. We know this. I was looking at it, how many were left. So like the, the other the, all the well, twenty-two are all in the past. They're, they're all in the past to me. So I, I'm just focused on going ahead. We are, as we record, we are to the point now that we have put out everything but the top 10, the teams that will be uh, in the top 10 farm systems. So uh, we'll count those down this week. Uh, We'll talk about several of those top 30 lists, team top 30 prospect lists. We'll also look at some prospects who have been impressing in spring training, and there are plenty of them, both on the offensive side of the ball and on the mound uh we're gonna do a draft check-in we it, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk about kumar rocker and his rotation mate jack lighter uh but there are uh, some other draft prospects to talk about believe it or not and uh as you may have seen there are some rule changes and some significant rule changes in the minor leagues this year we'll dig into those a little bit and then we'll wrap up by answering a question in the mailbag so Without further ado, let's jump into the top 30 prospects lists. And last week we talked about the AL West and AL East teams. And uh, that leaves us at the AL Central, which I believe, guys, in an answer to a mailback question last week, you both agreed that this is the strongest division in terms of prospects? We agree. I think it was more specific. It was if you put a lineup based on the prospects in the division, the starting lineup, they had the best division. But I don't know that I would say without looking at it more carefully that they have the best prospects. They, You could argue that because I, I know – um, it was close. The AL East was close. I think when we talked about that for that all that lineup, uh, you know, we talked about the Central, and then I talked about the East as a very close second. Um, you know, and the East does have three top ten farm systems in it, so you know, it probably could have the argument you know overall. But to your point, to what, 
You know what, Jonathan, I was going to say, like, we don't have any of their farm systems ranked lower than 15th. So it, it probably is the strongest as well. You're talking about the central? The AL central. Yeah. Like just, just looking at our rankings, which we haven't released yet, we, we have all five farm systems in the, in the top 15. So even though we didn't answer that question specifically, I think that, that, that probably does hold up then. So Detroit and Kansas City will be in the top 10. So that leaves us to discuss the Indians, White Sox, Twins. Uh, Indians, in the, we, we have a story up on the site uh, that if you check on MLB.com slash pipeline, uh, you'll see that we are um, aggregating all of the top 30 prospects lists in one story. So you can easily jump from one to another. And uh, we have a little blurb kind of summarizing each team's top 30 and the Indians states that they're on the verge of gaining recognition as being one of the best around best farm systems around. They have a lot of young talent. We've talked about that. I feel like for a few years now, Jim, but uh, they are now the third, they have the third youngest top 30 prospects list uh, out of all 30 teams, um, which I, th I think they were actually the youngest at some point over the past couple of years, but a lot of young talent on this top 30. And a lot of young talent that didn't make the top 30. They're, they're just extremely deep. Um, they've actually, for a team that's been winning, they've, they've traded significant players. Obviously, you know, in the last year and a half, they've traded Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber, Mike Clevenger, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Carrasco. So they're actually a contender that's been adding prospects via trade. Um, and, and I do think, you know, you know, if we'd had a season last year, which we didn't, I think they'd be a top 10 system right now because a lot of these young guys haven't even made their full season debuts and didn't get a chance to last year because there, there was no season. But, you know, you know, the guys at the top of the list, you know, your Tristan McKenzie's, your Nolan Jones, you know, you're going to see them in the big leagues this year. We saw McKenzie last year and you're going to see, you know, Tyler Freeman's not too far away either. But but the vast majority of their system are guys who haven't played really above a ball, uh, you know, and even low a guys like catcher, Bo Naylor, outfielder, George Valera, right-hander, Daniel Espina, Espino, they've got a, a trillion guys. They got in trades, you know, starting with Gabriel Arias and Josh Wolf. Um, they had a deep draft. I, I think I want to say when we ranked the, the draft halls from last year, they had the best haul um, of, of a team not having an extra pick well, I, maybe they, I think they did have a sandwich pick. So maybe I'm, I'm wrong in that. But we, we did think they had one of the best drafts, too. Um, and they've been kind of crushing it internationally recently also. So it's a, it, it's a very interesting farm system that, you know, it, it, I think they're going to graduate less talent than a lot of the farm systems we have ranked ahead of them this year just because, of, as you point out, Jason, it's so young. And, and I really do think that, you know, next year, I think they'll definitely be a top 10 farm system. And it wouldn't surprise me if two years from now, they're a top five farm system. All right. So let's go from talking about one of the youngest top 30 lists to one of, not, not exactly one of the oldest, but um, a team that has a lot of high level talent that is ready to help uh, right away. Uh, the Twins, they have 13 players on their top 30 prospect list that have 2021 ETAs. Uh, that's the most of any team. And uh, they're tied with the A's and the White Sox. And the A's and the White Sox have much older lists compared to the Twins. 
the A's list is the oldest top 30 list. White Sox, fourth oldest. Twins, kind of middle of the pack at 11th. But a lot of high-level talent uh, ready to help there with a farm system that is largely homegrown and has that homegrown farm system has largely fueled their their recent big league success. Yeah, and that's right. And and obviously not all 13 of those guys are going to graduate off the list, but to to Jim's point uh in in terms of uh you know teams that are going to graduate more guys in the Indians, the Twins are definitely in that in that group and that's what they've done. Uh f- forever. Uh but especially recently, you know, they won back-to-back uh, AL Central titles. And, you know, and yes, last year was shortened, but they still relied on homegrown talent and getting guys to the to the big leagues and young guys to the to the big leagues, you know, which is where I think you find that balance of guys who are ready to contribute, but who aren't super old, Uh, you know, and this is even with the loss of Royce Lewis, their number one prospect for the year because of the torn ACL. Uh, You have, you know, what, four of the top six players are, are all guys who will definitely or should contribute at some point this year. Ryan Jeffers is, is the guy at number six, the catcher. He, he was catching games in the playoffs last year, so you know what the Twins think uh, about him. Alex Kirilov made his debut in the playoffs last year. Now, there's a question to where he fits in exactly, but I, I think he's going to to contribute. Trevor Larnick is another guy. Uh, I can't wait to see Joan Duran uh, and his splinker. And yes, I'm bringing up just so I can say splinker again on the podcast. Uh, that's his splitter sinker hybrid pitch um, in, in the big leagues in some capacity. He's got nasty, nasty stuff. Brent Rooker is a little bit further down and uh, he doesn't really have a position. He's the one sort of older guy. He's 26, but uh, you know, I think he showed last year that he's ready to hit. Uh, you know, so the, and lots of guys took last year was such a weird year. And I think one of the things we struggled with overall in terms of putting together these lists and, and updating them is how to use information that we did get at alternate sites and instructs. And we take them with a grain of salt, but they have guys who, you know, took some nice steps forward who could then be ready to use that as a stepping stool to, to contribute in 2021. And I think at one point we, we talked about like, and maybe this is a, a one for each team feature that we do down the line, you know, guys not in the top 10 of our teams who you know could make a huge jump. And, uh, and Josh Winder is a right-hander who's right in the middle of the twins list. who's really, really interesting. And his stuff really ticked up last year. Now we have, we have to see what that means for a full season, but he's put himself in the position to be one of those arms that could contribute this year. And I think this is going to be a year, uh, again, uh, you know, last year was shortened, but a lot of pitchers were needed. I think this year, assuming that a full season is played and there are no shutdowns and things of that nature, and there's confidence that that will happen, teams are going to have to dip into their farm systems for pitching help uh, just to manage the the workload. So a team like the Twins, they're, they're pretty well positioned because they do have – a bunch of arms, uh, you know, Duran is the one sort of high-end arm, but they have a bunch of other arms who could be ready uh, to to help out uh, in a variety of, of roles to help them can you know compete again in that AL Central. All right, and before we move on to the NL West, uh, there one team that remains that is not in the top ten uh, that we haven't talked about here, which is the White Sox. Just quickly on them. Uh, the most top-heavy list in baseball with four AL Rookie of the Year candidates right at the top there. 
Um, not in the top 10, which ends a run of eight straight rankings in which they have been in the top 10. They've kind of slowly declined since being number one in the uh, 2017 midseason list. And as I mentioned before, they have the fourth oldest top 30 prospects list of any team in the big league. So that's a quick snapshot of the White Sox. Moving on to the NL West, where we have uh, three teams not in the top 10. So the Padres and the Diamondbacks will be among the top 10 farm systems in baseball as we roll those out over the course of this week, leaving the Rockies, Dodgers, and Giants. Uh, Dodgers being sort of notable exception from the top 10 list. They, they dropped out in last year's midseason ranking, ending a string of 11 straight top 10 uh, rankings since we started ranking farm systems back in 2015. Um, they only have two top 100 prospects at this point, which is the fewest they've had since our list expanded from 50 to 100 back in 2012. So uh, the system has graduated so many players to the big leagues that have helped in their long string of big league success. And uh, the system has thinned out a bit, but still solid. Um, Jim, the Giants, kind of on the other end of the spectrum in terms of uh, farm system rankings. They're, you know, one of the teams that has uh, only rarely cracked our top 10 um, only once since 2015. Um, and that was in last year's preseason list. They were 2020, but this feels like a, a system that's on the cusp. Yeah, it is. It's, it, it's on the rise. I think this is another system that's going to be top 10 next year because they're not going to lose a whole lot. You know, Joey Bart may graduate and Elliot Ramos may graduate. Um, although I don't think Elliot Ramos is a lot, but most of their best guys are, are young. And, you know, it, it's really, you know, it, it's, it's come from kind of a, a changing of, 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 of task on hand, I guess is the best way to put it. When they were winning all those World Series you know, three of them in, in a five-year period at the beginning of the last decade, they were, it was obviously all about winning and, and focus on, you know, how long can we keep the window open? And, and since they've kind of, you know, they, they tried to win as long as they could and, and kind of, I think, probably prolonged what they're going to have to do in the rebuilding process because of it. Um, since they've gone through rebuilding process, they've, they've just accrued a lot of talent. I mean, in, in just the last four years alone, they, they've spent first-round picks on Bart and Ramos and two other position players and Patrick Bailey and Hunter Bishop. They've done great work on the international market, um, starting with Marco Luciano, who I think is going to be a superstar. Um, they have Luis Matos, who's a center fielder, who's super interesting. Luis Toribio can really hit. Um, you know, they had, you know, they, even though the position guys are, are the, the strength of the system right now, they used the draft to, to add Kyle Harrison and Nick Swinney last year. They've made trades for guys like Gregory Santos, who was really great in instructional league. Um, Seth Corey was a guy they've, they've drafted recently who wasn't uh, a first round pick, but he got a seven figure bonus and he's probably one of the, he might be the next pitcher on the top 100. We just kind of ran out of room for him. Um, and the system is, is it's, it's, it's got talent at the top. It, it, it's a lot deeper than it has been. I, I know from, I, I've done the Giants list, I think since I came to MLB 
in September, 2013. And there were years where it was tough coming up with 30 guys and you're just recycling the same guys. And you're like, ah, oh, this guy's a cup of coffee guy at the best. And, and now I, I, I don't have enough room for everybody. I want to squeeze on the list. And, and I do think it's probably the best the farm system's been since they had, you know, Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner and Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt coming along right at the beginning of when they were getting ready to win those world series. I, I think the farm system is the strongest it's been since then. You mentioned uh, Bumgarner, Posey, Crawford, Belt. The Giants, with four top 100 prospects on this year's list, they had five on our midseason list uh, last year. The only other time they've had more than two since we started our list back in 2004 was in 2009 when they had three, Bumgarner and Posey, two of them, and the third, Pipeline Pop Quiz. Anyone? So it wouldn't have been Belt or Crawford. Would Zach Wheeler have been in the system then? It was not Zach Wheeler. Uh, this player does not come close to uh, having had the success that the other two did. Uh, not even close. It wasn't um, Angel Villalona, was. was it? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, so that's that's a look at the Giants. The third team in the NL West that is not in the uh, top 10 the Rockies, um, that list notable for the fact that for the first time since 2015, Brendan Rogers is not number one on a preseason top 30 list. Um, he is the only player that has been his team's top prospect five years in a row in preseason rankings. Uh, we have two players in position to potentially be number one for a fifth straight year next year. Do you guys know who those are? So these are players who have been number one on their team's top 30 list for four straight years now and in position to potentially be number one again next year. Royce Lewis. Correct. And the other player has – it's a possibility for the same sort of – Okay, be Forrest Whitley? Correct. I don't think Forrest Whitley is going to be number one on the list next year, but but it's possible. Bold it prediction. Be. Yeah, well – all right, so moving on to the – what are we going to do here? NL Central, shall we? Sure. We shall. NL Central uh, has only one team uh, among the top ten, and that will be the Pirates. Uh, so the other four teams, the Cubs, the Reds, the Brewers, and the Cardinals. Uh, let's lead into this one with a little Pipeline Podcast pop quiz. How many teams have not had a top 10 farm system, have not ranked among the MLB's top 10 farm systems since we started ranking them in 2015? Huh. I'm going to say, and then that's what we've done two lists each year, right? Yep. So I'm going to say, I think it's going to be higher than we think. And I'm going to go, see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say a number and I think it's going to be too low, but I'm going to go with... Nine. I will uh, say eleven. Jonathan, I think you you got uh, coerced into. <laughs> I should have taken the under. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is it, the number's only three, actually. Wow, wow. I was going to guess eleven. Actually, it's funny. Eleven sounded high, but I've like Jim sounded. You know, uh, I buy I into when, when, when Jim has the strength of his convictions. I I tend to believe him. So I, I was going to guess eleven. I, 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 it's funny because when Jonathan said eleven, I, I silently thought, "Damn it, it's going to be 11. <laughs> and I should have guessed eleven. So well, 
I won't even claim. I don't even think I, I feel like I've failed this quiz as well. Well, the, the reason that uh, we open the NL Central with that quiz is because one of the teams, one of the three teams is in the NL Central. The other two teams being the, oh, you guys want to guess? Sure. So, so, so you're not telling us which team it is in the National League Central? Is it it's the, the Brewers? The Cardinals have never had a top 10 season. It is the Cardinals. Okay. That's correct. I, I know the Brewers that we had. I was just saying how, how thin they were now. Yeah. So the other two, how about the Nationals? Nationals uh, were in the top 10 list one time. They were? They had Juan Soto in, at one point. For like five minutes. Yeah, but <clears throat> that, that, that. Yeah, number number six on the 2016. And back in 2016. So. Yeah. Um. The Angels. The Angels was the one I was about to say. One, I think you should be able to get. The other one, I think, might be a surprise. And we've already talked Mets. about them uh, in this podcast at length. At Indians. length. The Indians. The Indians. Huh. Yep. They've been on the cusp of the past few. <clears throat> uh, ranking number 12 in 2019 and uh, midseason and 2020 preseason and then uh, 14 midseason point last year and kind of on the cusp again this year, but have never ranked in the top 10 dating back to 2015. So the, the Cardinals with that dubious distinction. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't, their system's middle of the pack right now. You know, looking, looking at their system, I, I don't feel like the Cardinals are going to imminently end that drought like the Indians, I think, are going to, as we said earlier. I mean, I, you know, I, what I like about the Cardinals, I, I like the upper half of their list. Um, you know, I don't think they're as deep as a lot of the systems we've talked about today. But, you know, Dylan Carlson, you know, is going to make an impact this year. You know, prime rookie of the year candidate. You've got Matthew Libertor, who's one of the best left-handed pitching prospects around. You've got Nolan Gorman, who's one of the best power prospects around. You know, Yvonne Herrera is a good catching prospect. And I like what they've done in the draft the last couple of years. Zach Thompson, a lefty. You know, last year's draft, they got third baseman Jordan Walker, two-way player Mason Wynn, right-hander Tink Hentz. So they, they have some depth. At the top, you know, the, the, their top 10, I think, stacks up nicely against farm si- other farm systems. It's just when you get to maybe the last 10 guys on the list, it, it, it's, it, it really kind of falls off. So it's, they're, they're kind of a middle-of-the-pack system, but there are some, uh, there, there are some guys who are going to contribute and, and some building blocks in there. Looking at the uh, – just quickly at the other teams in the NL Central, uh, Cubs and the Reds, and the Brewers among the, the teams that are not in the top 10. And even though they're not in the top 10, and I, and we were talking before we started the podcast, and I think you guys agreed that the NL Central is probably the weakest division in terms of uh, farm systems um, and top 30 lists. But you look at all these uh, lists, and, and every one of them has at least two, and uh, – most of them, three or more top 100 prospects. So uh, not like they're completely bereft of talent. No, that's true. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, some have had more than others over the years. But, it, but even, you know, even the Cardinals, you know, were sort of always been interesting because, as you stated, they, they never ranked that high. But they churn guys to the big leagues and, and they find value in guys who are not, you know, weren't big draft prospects, later round picks weren't ranked as high. Uh, so, you know, 
I think you look at what they've done over the years, and they've certainly had a a productive farm system, even if they haven't had what's seemed to be elite level talent or super super deep farm system in, in any given year. Well, and the thing to remember about the Cardinals too is that unlike a lot of these teams, that you know, it's a lot easier to rank in the top ten when you're bad because you're picking at the top of the draft, you're trading for prospects. I mean, I'll give you a, a pipeline pop quiz, guys. When is the last time? the Cardinals finished under 500 and when was the last time they were really dreadful and finished under a 450 winning percentage. So it's a two part pop quiz last losing season, last sub 450 season. I'm, I'm going to say last sub 450 season might've been in the, might've been in the nineties. Correct. But you need to or, be more or, specific. Let's, let's say 94. Very close, ninety-five. But I mean, how about last? So that like their last really dreadful season, you know, so where they're going to be picking at the top of the draft was twenty-six years ago. When's the last time they even had a losing season? That have been. Uh, have they had one in, in, in this this century? Actually, after they won the two thousand six World Series, when they they barely snuck into the playoffs with eighty-three wins, they had a losing record in two thousand seven. Okay. the next year but like so that's 14 years ago so like what jonathan was saying i was just going to reinforce the point that it, it, it's harder to to build up the farm system when you're continually winning just because you're not drafting high you're not you know you're, you're probably trading prospects for veterans rather than the other way around um and i think like jonathan said i mean you also don't win now i guess they're what 13 winning seasons in a row and counting you don't win like that if you aren't developing talent so um, they've kind of, I, I think they've done a very, you know, even though they haven't necessarily ranked high, they've done a really nice job of, of, of keeping the winning going for so long. All right. And moving along to the NL East, where we have one team among MLB's top 10 farm systems being the Miami Marlins. Uh, the remainder of the team is the Braves, the Phillies, the Nationals, the Mets, um, Nationals, all 30 of their Players are homegrown. That's that's some that's notable. Uh, only one appearance in the top ten uh, since 2015, and have not been particularly close. And uh, I think we can say that with confidence again this year. Um, the Phillies, beyond Spencer Howard, who uh, major league ready, close to major league ready. There's some uh, exciting talent in the lower levels. Uh, but they have just two top 100 prospects in Howard and Nick Abel. Um, the Mets, a lot of turnover. Six of their prospects from their 2020 preseason top 30 have been traded. Uh, they haven't been in the top 10 since they were number five back in 2015, but they feel like they're not far off. And uh, then we have the Braves, which is a farm system that has been in the top 10 uh, repeatedly over the past uh, five, six years. And that farm has fueled their success over the past several years. A lot of graduations of elite prospects, Acuna, Albies, Swanson at all. So the farm is not the juggernaut that it has been, but still some elite level prospects there. Yeah, they're, they're definitely one of the, the, the systems that still ranks fairly highly because of the top of the list. But the drop off is more considerable than it once was when they were one of the top farm systems. You know, they, they rebuilt and they did a very good job uh, in, in doing that in, in the draft and in trades. 
international signings. Uh, and a lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of those guys have been called up. One of the things I think they've done a pretty good job in the trades that they made is that they managed to make trades that thinned out the system, but kept the elite level players. Uh, I think this is, you know, going back to that earlier point about farm systems that are probably going to drop off. Uh, I think this is one of them. It's very, very hard, as we've talked about, uh, to win every year and maintain a good farm system. You know, it, 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 there are rare occasions that that happens. And I think the Braves are right on that cusp of uh, the, the system being thinned out. And they still have four guys, you know, in the top 100. Uh, you know, Christian Pache and Drew Waters are still one of the most exciting outfield tandem, you know, prospect uh outfield prospects in, in all baseball. And then you've got Ian Anderson sandwiched between them. You know, everyone saw what he did last year uh, and in the postseason. And, you know, he, he is still a, a prospect. He'll graduate off quickly, uh, you know, but they're top of the list. You know, even guys behind them who, uh, you know, are, are good players, but Kyle Muller, William Contreras, Tucker Davidson, and Jaseel De La Cruz, that's the rest of their top 10. Those guys all have 2021 ETA. So depending on how things go, you saw Contreras make it up briefly last year out of need. Uh, you know, they could be thinned out at the top, which was the one thing sort of uh, keeping them, you know, up to the, you know, closer to the upper half of, of farm systems overall. And then, the, and then if you look at the rest of the top 30, it does, it does drop off considerably. It doesn't mean that there aren't guys on there who could contribute to a winning team, but they don't have, beyond that that top group uh, as many impact players as they did when they were you know generally considered to be one of the if not the top farm system in baseball all right so that's a look at the top 30 prospects list we only have 10 to go and those belong to the top 10 farm systems in baseball uh, we'll talk about that next week those teams in no particular order well in order of division as I read them off the Mariners the Orioles the Rays the Blue Jays the Tigers the Royals, the Padres, the Pirates, and the Marlins. We'll let you know uh, what order they're in when we talk next week. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a look at how some of the game's top prospects have been performing in spring training. That's coming up right after this on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. 
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are uh, well into the spring training schedule now, and we've had a lot of opportunities to watch a lot of prospects. And there are quite a few top prospects who have been performing quite well, uh, to name a few. Uh, trying to focus on guys who have had, uh, you know, enough plate appearances to to warrant uh, mention here. But Nick Prado, an interesting one. He's got three home runs in 18 plate appearances, uh, an OPS of 1.688, and the Royals have to be happy to see that uh, after struggling at the dish mightily uh, over the past couple of years. Um Mickey Moniak, another guy who I think kind of fits that bill, who uh, came into camp, to my eyes anyway, looking considerably different than he than he did, you know, when when we saw him last, which was a while ago. Uh, but he's performed well as well with a couple of home runs, uh, a double, uh, sorry, two doubles and a triple in fifteen plate appearances, OPS of one point four six seven. Akil Badu, uh, a Rule Five pick who is asserting himself quite well in uh, spring training and uh, trying to perform his way uh, to stay on that roster. He's posted a 1.356 OPS, and he's got a lot of playing time. He's uh, been to the plate 27 times, also seven walks against just six strikeouts. Um, Elliot Ramos has been one of the most uh, electric performers at the plate. In spring training so far, three home runs and 20 total bases and 24 plate appearances. Um, Jaron Duran, we talked about last week with the Red Sox. He's performed well trying to win an outfield position with the Red Sox. Um, His teammate Bobby Dahlbeck as well has been very good. Key Brian Hayes, uh, probably uh, not much of a surprise there as well as he played in the big leagues last year. those are some of the guys who have performed well at the plate. Uh, Jim and Jonathan, uh, anyone in, in particular you want to focus on there? I should probably yeah. pick one of you. Jim, sounds like you, you were going to dive in there. Okay. Um, I was going to say the, the, the two, I guess, biggest takeaways I had just from kind of looking at, at stats and listening to you talk about these guys too were one is just the shortstops at the top of the 2019 draft. You know, Bobby Witt Jr. and C.J. Abrams just continue to perform well since being, you know, despite being extremely young. They're both just 20 right now. I don't necessarily think we're going to see them in the big leagues this year, but I think they could get there sooner than expected, and we might see them in the big leagues in a hurry next year. And then, you know, L.A. Ramos is interesting. I mean, I, I try not to read too much into spring training stats because it's not – you know, it's different levels of competition, who you're facing, but, you know, very impressive spring for him. And, you know, he, he was a guy who, you know, I, I wasn't sure quite what to make of him when we left 2019. He, he had hit really well in the Cal League. He'd hit well before that. Um, then he got to, to double A at a young age for a month. It didn't really do much. And then he was kind of lackluster in the Arizona Fall League. Um, and now, you know, maybe with this hot start, Maybe they wind up sending him to AAA, which will be an alternate site to start the season. And and maybe he just continues as if he didn't really miss 2020. But but I have been impressed by what Elliot Ramos has been able to do off the bat. Yeah, I think one of the uh, you know one of the, the tough things to do is because we haven't seen people play. It's hard not to get too excited or or too disappointed. In, you know, in these in what's going on in spring training because it's their our first chance to see them at all. Uh, so with that in mind, I think, you know, the couple of the guys that 
you know, we haven't seen much. Like, listen, I could talk about Brian Hayes, but you know, the fact that he's hitting shouldn't surprise anybody based on what he did in the big league. So he's, you know, picking up where he left off. But, you know, there are a couple of guys that like we hadn't seen, you know, so Andrew Vaughn is a guy who, not, not that we had any fear of his, you know, ability to hit, but Jim, I know you, you know, you and I have both gotten questions of people are like, were you worried at all about like what he did in his summer debut where he got, you know, kind of pushed, uh, pushed up and, and, and he didn't perform particularly well. And, you know, so be it. Uh, but I'm, I'm just glad to see him out there and doing Andrew Vaughn things, you know, drawing a bunch of walks, he's hitting, uh, you know, it, it's relatively small sample size, but for a guy who, you know, should get there sooner rather than later. And we only had this small sample from that first summer where he didn't hit all that well. It's, it's nice to see. Um, I think the other guy um, I got to make, I, I got to, I got to have a Mickey Moniak moment, right? I mean, I know we love talking about Mickey, especially Jim likes talking about Mickey Moniak. I think there are $25,000 on the line. Yes. So one for um, his last six in spring training. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a small sample size, but he has been doing some, 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 some nice things. He's been showing more power. Um, you know, whether that translates into 2021, I think we'll have to wait and see. This is a very big year for a guy like him. Uh, I think even though he's still, you know, he's still super young. Uh, it's just, you know, the, for a number one overall pick, you have certain expectations and he's not close to those expectations as much as we like to, to joke about you know, who, who we like better and, and, and things of that nature. Um, I think the one other guy in that realm I'll, I'll bring up is Jonathan India of the Reds, who, you know, I, I do the Reds list. It, it's awfully hard, even when we we're talking about the top 100, figuring out where to put him. I mean, this guy is junior year at the University of Florida, went off. Huge power. We haven't seen it since, but his first full season uh, in 2019, uh, he played with a wrist injury almost all year. You know, how much of it was the wrist injury and how much of it is, well, maybe he's not quite as good as that one year. And there's not a huge amount of track record before that in terms of offensive success. So to see him come out and 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 have really good at-bats and hit the ball well in spring training, uh, you know, when now they're talking about, you know, especially because of injuries, there, there's a decent chance he may make the opening day roster. It's nice to sort of see him look more like the guy who was a top five pick in his draft class. All right, let's move over to the mound where we've had some equally impressive performances. Uh, some of the top overall guys have not performed so well uh, in the early going, but uh, some top prospects worth mentioning in terms of uh, how they've performed so far. J.B. Bukowskis uh, has pitched four innings, has not allowed a base runner, and has struck out nine of the 12 hitters he's faced. Alec Manoa, uh, five innings pitched, no runs, one hit, no walks, and 11 strikeouts. Uh, Joe Ryan has pitched three uh, perfect frames with four strikeouts. Connor Brogdon, three and a third with no base runners and four strikeouts. Uh, Shane McClanahan, he allowed a, a base hit to the first hitter he faced in spring training, uh, then got a couple of ground outs and has proceeded to strike out the last seven hitters he's faced over the course of three outings. Tariq Skubal, uh Five innings pitched, no runs, two hits, no walks, and six strikeouts. Simeon Woods Richardson has looked good. Five scoreless innings, two hits, a walk, and four strikeouts. And Cody Whitley, uh, three and a third, no runs, one hit, one walk, and five strikeouts. Uh, 
guys, anyone in particular jump out to you there or someone that I did not mention? No, I mean, I think you mentioned the, the guys who have been really, uh, really off to good search. I think, uh, you know, again, sort of sticking with my theme of guys who the last time we saw them, they struggled. JB Bukowskis is a guy who's kind of interesting, uh, you know, with the Diamondbacks. And I think that the number that stands out is, you know, the nine strikeouts and four innings is great. Uh, and, you know, again, we don't know who he's facing. I didn't look at the box scores to see what point in the game is coming in. The zero walks is a very, very good sign. I mean, he hasn't given up a hit either. So, you know, he's been he's been absolutely uh, outstanding in his, in his four innings of work. You know, he probably profiles as a reliever now, but the command has been such a huge issue, that and staying healthy. But the command has been such a big issue. So to see him in big league spring training, um, when this is, a, again, I think he's another guy, this is a big year for him to show if he can contribute to not walk anybody out of the gate. Uh, I think that's a, that's a good sign moving forward in whatever role he might end up serving, uh, you know, with, uh, with the Diamondbacks this year. I wonder if Alec Manoa is going to move fast for the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, it's like talk about a guy who's a little bit out of sight, out of mind. You know, 2019, he pushes himself way up draft boards. He goes 11th overall in the draft, comes into pro ball, goes to the, the short season Northwest League, which now no longer exists. He strikes out 27, 17 innings. Looks like he's poised to move pretty quickly. And then there's no 2020 season. And now he comes in spring training again spring training stats, but it, you have to like five innings, one hit, no walks, 11 strikeouts. I mean, he looks like he's dialed in. I, I wonder, you know, as the Blue Jays try to, you know, build a team that can go deep in the playoffs, if, if I'm not saying this year, but I also don't think it's necessarily out of the question that Alec Manoa, if he continues to build on the momentum he started in 2019 and, and that he's showing so far in a small sample size of spring training, if Alec Manoa winds up being a factor you know, maybe later in the year or, or, or early 2022 for the Blue Jays. Speaking of Blue Jays pitching prospects, as we're recording this podcast, our Blue Jays reporter Keegan Matson tweeted out that Blue Jays number one prospect, Nate Pearson, has had a setback with his groin injury during his bullpen session, uh, according to GM Ross Adkins. And there's no timeline right now, but the IL seems very likely to start the season. I can't stay healthy. I mean, that's the, been the biggest thing. He just needs to be on the mound. And we've seen what the stuff can do when he's on the mound and healthy. He just hasn't done it enough. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk some drafts on the MLB Pipeline podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We're going to change gears a bit 
go from talking about minor league prospects to talking about some draft prospects. And uh, as has been the case over the past few, uh, we're going to talk about Vanderbilt's dynamic duo of Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. They excelled again in their last starts. They both pitched on Saturday. Uh, Rocker, eight innings, two hits, no runs, nine strikeouts. Leiter, five innings, two hits, no runs, seven strikeouts. And uh, Jim, this time, came against a, a little better quality competition and i think uh you you got what you've you want to see from rocker yeah i mean we, we we've been talking about you know again i think having the pandemic and only four weeks last year and no summer ball and no team usa that you just don't get to see these guys and you know you haven't seen a lot of them and, and i think you know we've kind of hit the theme that Coming into the year, you know, we had Kumar Rocker ranked number one on our draft top 100. But if you had the number one overall pick, you wouldn't have you'd like to see more. You'd like to have more confidence, just more to go on. And and I think this is the type of outing. If I'm the Pirates picking one one and I'm thinking I'm going to take Kumar Rocker. This is what I wanted to see from him. I mean, it was, you know, you know, you point out eight innings, two hits, only one walk. Um, uh, you know, the command was the best it's been. I, I, I mean, I think that's his best start going back to his 19 strikeout no hitter against Duke in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. Um, you know, and granted, I mean, he didn't get a chance to pitch a whole lot last year, but yeah, I, I feel pretty, I feel pretty good if I'm leaning towards taking Kumar rocker number one, if I'm seeing outings like that and, you know, we're going to have sec play start soon and he'll get, you know, tested on a weekly basis and, you know, later, you know, it was kind of more, the, more of the same for him. I mean, Jack's going to go very high in the draft, he walked three guys in five innings. He's got 10 walks in 20 innings. And if you, if you talk to scouts, I mean, you, you look, the guys at the top of the draft are going to get nitpicked because they're going at the top of the draft. And you're trying to figure out who's going where. But if you talk you know, to scouts about Jack Leiter, they like Jack Leiter. They want to see Jack Leiter throw strikes on a more consistent basis because I mean, going back to high school, the command would fluctuate at times too and the control and I think they'd like to see more. And, you know, unlike Rocker, you know, Jack Leiter didn't have a spectacular 2019 season in college because he was in high school. You know, Jack Leiter pitched, I think it was 15 innings last year and 20 innings this year. And he hasn't thrown, you know, it hasn't been, you know, even really average control or command. And, and, I, and I think scouts are still looking for that from him. Yeah, the stuff is plenty good, you know, and I think, you know, part of it is his stuff has probably ticked up, uh, you know, as he's gotten a little stronger and that's added to the the command issues. So, but, you know, that lack of seeing guys really played for him as a draft eligible sophomore. So the last time anyone saw, you know, saw him pitch beyond the brief amount of time last year was for Del Barton, which is a prep school in New Jersey. And we're not talking like high level of competition. Now he pitched well in the summer showcase circuit that put him more on the map, and uh, you know, and and was very good across the board. Uh, but he's the one that had you know I think has more question marks uh, than even than Rocker. You know, people had questions about the command with Rocker, so it's been very encouraging that his last two starts. Uh, the the walks have have really dissipated. It feels like he's getting sharper and sharper, which as Jim said, that you want to that's what you want to see as a as a number one pick. I agree. I think Leiter's going to go plenty high enough, um, and some of it is going to depend on improvements he shows as the season goes on. Uh, you know, and what people say about you know what's causing the command issues and whether they're they're deemed as things that could be could be fixable. 
Well, believe it or not, there are other dra- draft prospects to talk about. No. Like our, our, our draft conversation has been dominated by these two uh, over the past few weeks, and, and for good reason. But there are other guys to talk about. Uh, Jonathan, why don't you tell us about a guy or two in, in your half of the country that you focus on? Yeah, I'm going to go go down to Florida because you know that's where a lot of action is. Uh, and you know, one one guy that I wanted to check in on was Judd Fabian uh, because uh, we get questions periodically like who else could be you know the number one overall pick. Uh, and a while ago, people were were bringing his name up. He does have uh, you know some pretty good tools. He's got a lot of power. And he does have six homers uh, this year. It looked like he was starting to go off earlier. The the troubling thing with him was the swing and miss. And he's got twenty four strikeouts and sixty seven at bats. And they haven't even gotten into the like the the heart of uh, conference play. So you know that's something that I still think that he is going to do just fine. Uh, there aren't a ton of college bats with his kind of power, but if if, if they if the swing and miss is that high throughout the season, it, it it's going to be, it's going to be tough. You know, he's hitting 284 on the year, uh, you know, and you know, maybe, maybe when they start facing better competition with firmer stuff, it, it'll actually be better. Um, I haven't really dug in, but the, the strikeout rate is, is something that's going to be very concerning for teams. And on the high school side, it's you know it's it's hard for us to dig in too deep. Uh, one because you know in some a lot of places high school seasons haven't even really started yet, and you know Jim and I have been so busy with the top thirties that we haven't really been having conversation you know that many conversations. I happened just by chance to to check in with uh, a scout in Florida who I knew saw Andrew Painter who was one of the best uh, high school right handers in, in in the country, and he pitched at IMG. Uh, on Saturday, so you know, against good competition, and he was, you know, overall was very, very good. He was ninety-three to ninety-seven early. Went right after hitters. He gave up two homers. His team lost two to nothing. Uh, the slider wasn't great, but the scout thought that uh, he was forced to throw too many of them. He was nibbling a little too much and only went three innings. But uh, you know, it's still only mid-March. I think he's still getting built up. Uh, so some some good things and some things to work on. Uh, you know, as as we look at a guy who could be the first high school right-hander to be taken uh, once the draft rolls around. All right, Jim, a couple guys from your side. Well, I'm going to give you five, but I'm going to keep it tight because I don't want to get on our producer Danny Gentili's Kittle list. So I'll, I will keep these uh, keep these tight keep these tight. Um, you know, just some observations from talking to a couple people. You know, Gunnar Hoglin at Old Miss, who was a, a supplemental first round pick out of high school who failed to sign with the Pirates. You know, he was, we had him as a, I think kind of in that sandwich round area coming into the year. His stuff is ticked up. He's pitching really well. Um, I think he's thrown him in itself in, in the discussion to be, uh, you know, among, you know, maybe even the first college pitcher taken outside of, of that, you know, rocker lighter Jaden Hill group. You know, he, he's going to go pretty good. Um, a couple guys that we were very bullish on coming into the year have come out of the gates really hot. Sam Bachman, the right-hander at, at, at Miami of Ohio. Uh, Luca Tresh, uh, Patrick Bailey's successor at, at catcher at NC State are both off to great starts. Uh, I think they've moved themselves up and they're even better than we thought they were. And then two names who have kind of come out of the blue. Well, 
one of them's come out of the blue and one of them, one of them, one, I'm agonizing because as Jonathan knows, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to write up 70 guys on the top 100, but like I always have 70 guys from my half of the country I want to get on there. And I think literally the 101st guy on our list, we just, we just ran out of room. Um, we had a lot of, I, I crammed a bunch of sweet swinging middle infielders on the end of the list. Number 101, who, who didn't make the cut, was Peyton Stovall, a high school uh, shortstop from Louisiana. And I think uh, I think basically Stovall's homered in, in almost every game he's played. I think he's got something like nine or ten home runs already this spring. Um, so uh, we were on him. There's not enough to quite put him on the list. And then the guy who's kind of come out of the blue a little bit is uh, Justice Thompson of North Carolina, outfielder, Juco transfers off to hot start, got a lot of tools, really interesting guy. He'll probably goes in the second or third round. So he, without doing a real exhaustive look, is probably the guy in my half of the country who's kind of come out of nowhere the most to this point. Jim, you actually kind of kept that tight. I don't want to be on the Kittle list. I'm, I'm, I'm staying off the Kittle list. So. <laughs> no one does. All right. Let's move ahead and talk about some of the rule changes that we're going to see in the minor leagues this year. Uh, how about how about we do this? Completely unplanned here. Uh, Jim and Jonathan, I'll go through these rules, give a brief thumbnail of what they are, and I want you to tell me yay or nay. Are you in favor of this or not? I like that. All right, here we go. All right, let's go. Well, can, we, can we be ambivalent? No, I need a yay or nay. No, no <laughs> washiness. No abstaining. Okay. No abstaining. All right. Uh, this rule will apply in all AAA leagues. Slightly larger bases with a less slippery surface. Yay. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to impact stolen bases necessarily. Like I know You can ask for elaboration. Yeah, you're not. Just keep it moving. I'm going yay. I'm going yay. We can elaborate. Brief, brief elaboration. Brief <laughs> elaboration on it. I'm very clumsy. I, uh, I would easily slip on the bases, so less slippery sounds good. Good. All right, here we go. Uh, in all AA leagues – a requirement that all four infielders have their cleats within the outer boundary of the infield dirt when the pitch is delivered. Nay with a capital N. Nay. I'm, I'm with you. Hey, guys should be able to play wherever they want in the field. You know, the hitters can adjust if they don't like where the fielders are positioned. And I, this isn't going to solve the problem just because you eliminate, you know, you restrict shifting, which, and I believe that they may in the second half of the season, require two infielders on each side of the bag that, that's not going to make hitters make more contact at the plate. So it, I, I'm, I'm sticking with my name with a capital N. All right. Next at all high a leagues, a requirement, the pitchers must step off the rubber completely to attempt a pickoff. Nay. I, I don't think it increases. It's going to increase steals that much with as prevalent as power is in the game. And I don't like the aspect that I mean, Jonathan and I are both left-handers. So maybe that's why we're saying nay. <laughs> but like, like you, you've, you've had a pickoff move all your whole life. Exactly. You've been doing it one way. The whole and then, and then, entire life. Yeah. And then high A, they're changing it suddenly. And then in double A, you can go back to, to, to not stepping off. So, so Jonathan, I, and Andy Pettit all hate that rule. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's one thing about these rule changes that I think is really going to be difficult is guys who change levels and then have to get a you know get accustomed to the new level, the new rules at each level. Um, all right, at all low A uh, leagues, a limit of two pickoff attempts per plate appearance. Nay, I don't see how that's a huge issue. But yeah, I mean, I, I'll I'll say yay just to be different, but I, I don't I don't have a strong. Feeling, I mean, that's a speed of game kind of thing. You don't want someone throwing over eight times, but I, I don't think it's a big deal. 
And what, and what, as you pointed out, Jason, I mean, so when you're in low A, you can only throw over to first base twice, but when you get to high A, you can do it as much as you want, but you have to step off. Motivation to get promoted. Yeah, guys at guys at a high A are going to be thrown over excessively just to get it all out of their system. All the lefties are going to be angry and just say, screw this. I'm throwing over 30 times if they're going to make me step off and just repeatedly do it. And what's, what's the, I, I could scroll down in the story here, but what, what's the penalty? Is it if you throw over? I think it's a balk. It's a balk, right? Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, next up, a uh, at low in low A West only a. 15- oh, wait, wait, hey, Jason. Wait a minute. I, I, we're wrong. Actually, it's a balk. But if you go over a third time, if you try a third step off or pick off or whatever it is in low oh, A, if, if you get the guy out, then you're good. But if you right. miss, then it's a balk. So I kind of like the danger there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to be you got to be pretty sure you're going to get the guy if you're going to throw over a third time. So I'm going Nate to the rule, but I like the 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 sudden death the risk. third pickoff will either be a pickoff or a balk. Yeah, I kind of like that. I like that aspect. All right. Nay with a caveat of a yay. Or nah. We'll just go nah. It's not a full yeah. nay. All right. Uh, low A, west only, a 15-second pitch clock. Sure. I'll say yay. Yeah, I like that. It enforces the rules. We've both seen it in the fall league. Yeah, it, pitch clock is fine. Enforce the rules in the book. That's that, that, you know, enforce the rules. I'm all I'm all for that. Unless you don't like the rules. Well, well, no. I'm saying that 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 all that's doing. That's not something new. That's just enforcing a rule the umpires are supposed to enforce anyway. That's a dangerous. That's a dangerous precedent, though. There, Jim. Just be careful because just some things on the books doesn't mean it's good. Well, you could change the rule, but I'm saying if you're going to have a rule that says you have to deliver a pitch within 20 seconds, deliver the pitch within 20 seconds. That's not hard. All right, last one. Low A southeast only, an automatic ball strike system, aka robot umps. Yay. Yay. Although with the caveat that it's silly that it's only in one league, but uh, but yes. So you guys, I, I, I just all, think you're all in on the. And you can, we pull, the- can we pull our our twenty five thousands and like sponsor one of these leagues because we we can't call them Low A West and Low A Southeast. We need like low A pipeline. No, you're going to get pipeline. Just embrace it. You're going to get used to it. Uh, Yeah, I I think we're going to have sponsorships, Jonathan. We're not going to get used to it. These are all going to be sponsored very soon. I think that the the automatic uh, ball strike system is something that people are just going to have to get used to. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to make the game better. I was slow to come around to it, but I do think that. uh, You know, assuming that they can continue to sort of tweak the technology that's behind it. So it becomes you know more and more accurate. I, I think you know you want to have the best version of calling balls and strikes as you possibly can have, and that's how to, and this is the way to do it. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I think what we're probably going to see when you think Jonathan is they'll start it in the low A Southeast League. If it goes well, it'll be in all low A leagues, and it'll you know they'll continue to tweak it, and then maybe next year it's in low A and high. You know, like they'll yeah. they'll expand it, and you know, so that when you rise through the minors, you get used to it and. Uh, you know, eventually we'll have it. I, I mean, I think we'll see this in the big leagues within, you know, two, three years. And again, we saw it in the fall league. I mean, it does take a little getting used to, but once they iron it out, like I, I again, <laughs> let's call strikes that are strikes. Let's not call a pitch a strike just because a, a pitcher knows how to present the ball to the umpire. Let's have strikes get called strikes and balls get called balls. Yep. Didn't we have a, didn't we have a player get ejected from a game for arguing? Uh... Yes. Yeah, what did he do? Did he point at the press box at Salt yeah. Fields? Yeah, and was yelling. He pointed yeah. at the the fictitious, the the non-existent robo ump. Inanimate. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's wrap up this podcast by answering a question in the mailbag. This one comes from Jared W. Orskog. 
at ORS. I wonder if that's Orskog. O-R-S-K-O-G-W. Uh, he tweeted you should DM him and ask him. Maybe I will. Uh, he tweeted in this question. How do you view the Royals farm system? So the Royals, uh, one of the top 10 farm systems. We'll start off there as we uh, went through our top 10 farm systems earlier today. Um, so they will be among the top 10. And there's your question. How do you view, how do you view them? Very broad. How do you view the Royals system? The answer would be uh, as a top ten farm system. Yes, no, I mean, binoculars. <laughs> um, I mean, I think they've, they, they, what's really driving them recently is is their their high draft picks in recent years. You, you got Bobby Witt, who was the second overall pick. Asa Lacey was the fourth overall pick. You know, they had the three first rounders in 2018: Daniel Lynch, Jackson Coar, British singers already graduated. Um, you know, Nick Prado, they're hoping bounces back. You know, you've got second round picks like. You know, Jonathan Bolin, MJ Melendez, they've done a really nice job turning their top draft picks into good prospects recently. And, you know, they got Nick Lofton last year's draft as a sandwich pick. You know, Eric Pena is probably their best international guy, but it, it's really been parlaying those early picks into quality prospects in the last few drafts. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's interesting to see the the sort of if you if you plot it out in a chart when they were you know had the the best farm system ever and if you know Jim and I both talked to people with the Royals and they knew that when they went all in to win in 2015 they knew that their farm system was going to take a hit they don't have the the ability to to maintain both uh you know for for lengthy periods of time like most teams can't uh and so they knew when they went all in and they won right so that they did what they wanted to to accomplish, but they knew that their farm system was going to take a dip and it did. And it's been interesting to see, you know, as they've rebuilt and gotten those early draft picks to see them kind of on the upswing right? last year, what they were 17th uh, and now they're top 10 and they're moving in the right direction. And we're seeing some of these guys start to perform. Uh, you know, we haven't even really see, see Bobby Witt play outside of a strong summer debut and what he's been doing this spring, and he's the kind of guy at the top of a of a of a farm system that can go a long way to continuing to move you up the list. But there, there's a lot more there. The depth that Jim alluded to that is kind of making them a, a team in the top ten with an up arrow next to next to their name. Hey, Jonathan, you you said something that I, I just want to chime in real quick. That you know, it reinforces something I thought when we switched to the bonus pool system. You know, before we had the bonus pool system, teams could spend whatever they want on the draft. And now the vast majority of them did not. The vast majority listened to the below market slot values that the commissioner's office put out and towed the line. But the two probably most aggressive teams in the draft were the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Kansas City Royals. And it was, you know, obviously an area where these are small revenue franchises where they could go toe to toe and they actually outspent the Yankees. You know, they can't do that. You know, when Gary Cole's a free agent, the Pirates aren't going to outspend the Yankees for him. Or when, you know, Anthony Rendon's a free agent, you know, the Royals aren't going to outspend the Angels on him. And, you know, when those teams had success in the middle of the decade, but the bonus pool system was in place, they got smaller bonus pools. They were picking at the bottom of the draft. They couldn't say, okay, we're going to give $5 million to our second rounder or $3 million to our third rounder and, and get talent that way. And I think it really kind of set their systems back because like you pointed on, uh, pointed out, you know, now with the bonus pool system, if you're a small revenue team and you win, it's going to be very hard to, to keep a strong farm system going. And that, Jared, is how we view the Royals farm system. Uh, thanks to Jared for his question. Thanks, everyone, for listening. 
That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. If you have any complaints, send those directly to at Jim MLB on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.